Welcome to the Christian Adoption Coaching Podcast, where couples come for the guidance and tools to build a family through adoption while receiving the continued support and education after finalization. All of this is anchored in the truth, beauty, and goodness of our faith. With the adoption coaches Stacy Sanger and Shannon Slattery as your host, you will learn how to gain the confidence, tools, and clarity you will need as you build your family through adoption and strengthen it through all the aspects of your lives because together we make a family. Hello, hello, hello. This is Stacy from Christian Adoption Coaching. Um, Shannon's not here yet, but she's going to join us in a little while. We're going to talk again. Welcome back, Dr. Sarah. Um, she is our pediatrician expert on um, teaching us a little bit more about our adoptive kids and situations that we can handle to help life better at home and also to help our children thrive. Um, I Today we're going to talk about trauma, self-care, and compassion fatigue or blocked care. Some people know it as that. Um, we're going to focus on the adoptee mostly, but we're also going to, to spend a little time about talking, um, talking about the parents and, and some of the feelings and frustrations and exhaustion they might be feeling. Um, we're going to start off with having Dr. Sarah introduce herself again and tell us about how her um, profession relates to adoption. Excellent. Hi. Hello. Thank you. And uh, thank you again for having me. Uh, my name is Sarah Silvestri, and I am a board-certified pediatrician and adoptive mother. I help families throughout the entire adoption process, uh, all the way from when they've decided to adopt and uh, once the child is in their home and everybody is growing as a family. So I try to help uh, support families on the medical side throughout all of that process. Okay. Thank you. Today we're talking about trauma. And I was th thinking that maybe we could start about um, start with you giving us some examples uh, of trauma that you as a pediatrician might address with um, uh, might address in your practice. Sure. So, you know, um, unfortunately, trauma is uh, everywhere in today's world. And so, um, you know, in my daily practice, I am at what is called an FQHC, which is a federally qualified health center. And uh, what that means is that we're in an area that has a large population of people who have health needs that are uh, underserved. Mm -hmm. In those areas, unfortunately, a lot of times there's a lot of stressors and a lot of traumas. So I see a lot of kids in my general everyday life who have trauma from what they've witnessed. Um, there's a lot of violence where I, I work, a lot of gun violence. So it's not uncommon for the kids that I see in my practice to have exposure to um, that violence at school or at home. Now, talking about adoption, we might not see that obvious violence and trauma that we think of, but unfortunately, uh, kids who have been in adoptive situations still experience uh, a lot of trauma just in that process itself. So thinking of kids who maybe are coming from foster care and into adoption, many of those kids will have, again, more obvious things, uh, more obvious exposures, challenges that have been traumatic to them. So um, things like being physically abused, being sexually abused. Unfortunately, those are not uncommon 
not nearly as uncommon as we would like them to be. Um, so we do see a lot of kids who have that uh, history and who have had trauma effects from that. Um, neglect. Neglect is a major trauma. And while it seems like, you know, leaving a child alone and not attending to them the way they should be would not necessarily be trauma. It does lead to a trauma effect because um, we need that nurturing. We need to have those needs met early in our lives to know that we are um, important and to build those relationships and uh, to build trust with people. And so we do see that type of trauma also. Then there's that group of people, of children who have been exposed or who have been adopted since birth. Um, you know, they were taken home from the hospital with their adoptive families. And so they may not have had that exposure again to the more obvious traumas of abuse or neglect or violence. Um, but adoption itself is a trauma event. Being taken to a different family is trauma. It is a grief process. As you mentioned earlier, when we were off camera, there's grief involved. There's identity involved. There's all kinds of uh, emotional issues that do come up um, that at the end of the day is trauma. And as pediatricians and adoptive families, we're all here to help um, these children navigate that and try to build resilience. Resilience is the key to fighting trauma. Right. I know um, a majority of my children came to us when we when they were infants. Um, and when I started this process, you know, a few years ago, trying to figure it all out and realizing that there's more than we were led to believe. Um, the When Shannon and I would talk, I would say, well, your kids had trauma, but my kids didn't have trauma. I mean, in general. Um why you know why are we even discussing that I mean why has this affected me I know if I asked my children if you had trauma in your life they would be like no you know what are you talking about so um I often just refer to it in our house as hard things because sometimes it's harder to listen to the word trauma it's a little bit of a scary word yeah so that's a little bit different um, terminology. Um, and some, like you you kind of referred to, if you have a child from birth, it's hard to say my child has trauma. And so that's why I kind of lean on the word hard things. My child's been through a hard thing. They're grieving the adoption process. Some of my children may have, more than likely, my children were exposed to stress in utero because their moms, I mean... All of our moms are amazing women, but they had to have been under an extreme amount of stress making this choice to place their child. And so I think it's easier for, for at least me as a mom, and I'm sure it's easier for my children in particular, um, to hear the word hard things instead of trauma, um, because they kind of feel it as a label. Um, Absolutely. I, I know I have to watch my words when it comes around to my kids, because they're already labeled because they're adopted and mm -hmm. I don't want them labeled because people think, Oh, they've had trauma, you know? So just kind of yeah. spin off. I'm Absolutely. And I, oh, yeah. I think trauma also has this, um, 
it's sort of a buzzword right now. It's, you know, something that everybody wants to be talking about and informed about. And that's great. It's wonderful to raise awareness, right? Anything that raises awareness, that raises uh, more interest, that brings us more people who are ready to help others is great. But I, again, I agree with you. When we get stuck on words and we get stuck on, you know, the fad, if you will, at the moment, we're, we're going to lose what's really happening to the patient and what's happening to the child at those right. times. And I do worry that sometimes that is happening now with trauma. Right. Because I think, especially like, like in the school districts, if I, mm-hmm. if, you know, if one family walks in and says, my child's been exposed to trauma, they're from, you know, foster care or an abusive family or something like that, that child's going to get a lot more care than my children because, oh, absolutely. It, because they only had a hard thing, you know, I mean, they, it's, that's, that's the problem with, I guess, all this, like you said, the fad things, you know, my children Mm -hmm. are already overlooked some because their exposures or their, their experiences were considered a lot less, which part of it, that's just because everybody's so busy and they don't have time for it. But it just makes me sad when I, I mean, I have to be in the schools advocating for my children all the time. Otherwise they don't get due diligence. They don't get what they deserve. You know? Yeah. It's, and that is, that is my one hope that when, you know, we really talk about um, the adoptive process itself being a trauma for our children I hope that message starts to get out to people, not just in the adoptive community. I think, you know, the adoptive community, people who have adopted all um, agencies, et cetera, adoptees, most will agree that adoption is trauma. I think everybody's really grasping that concept in that community. But like you said, in a school, in general life, if they were adopted at birth, people don't see that as a trigger. They don't really understand what that means. And and so again, awareness is great. Whether we call it something trauma, something else, we need that awareness to move forward and and to bring the rest of society with us, that these are kids who still are going to have challenges and need that support. If you had somebody come to you, um, either in your your business or your adoption doc business or as a pediatrician what what type of re- that have experienced trauma what type of things do you recommend to parents um to help their child or to help themselves yeah well you know what's fun is that trauma generally doesn't work in or walk in saying it's trauma right so trauma walks in saying it's belly pain trauma walks in saying it's adhd That's trauma true. walks in not as trauma. And so when kids come and they're having problems, it's our jobs to sort through what's going on and help them, you know, figure it out. And I think um, what's really important for families is that if there's a concern that something may be coming from a trauma response, one of the most important things I can uh, suggest is finding somebody who is trauma trained. So finding a physician, a therapist, um, anyone who's going to help 
who is trauma trained and especially for our adoptive children our adoptive families if you can find somebody who is adopted adoption trained that's even more special because so many times uh and i see this every day people will be labeled with adhd taking adoption out of the picture talking about just general life adhd is one of those diagnoses that I really think is a catch-all for people not looking deeper. Um, there is true ADHD, don't get me wrong, but a lot of times anxiety will show up as ADHD. Learning disability shows up as ADHD and trauma shows up as ADHD, it does. If you have a trauma response, if your brain is triggered to always be in a fight versus flight mode, you're not gonna do well sitting down and listening to a lecture on history. Your brain is still going to be sitting there going, you know, what's going on around me? What's happening? What's, and you're going to be looking around. You're going to be vigilant. You're going to be twitching. You're going to be, you know, um, you know, just kind of, you know, not sitting still. You're going to be that person who can't, who looks like they're not focusing. And you you may not even know that's happening. Most people don't. And so that's why they don't come in and they say, hey, I'm having a hard time paying attention in class because I've got this trauma response and I'm a little bit on the anxious side and hypervigilant side. Um, but my teacher thinks I have ADHD. That's what it boils down to, right? That's how they come in. And so getting somebody who understands that and is willing to work and not just stick the ADHD label on and move forward is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have an amazing pediatrician for one of my children and he just kept digging and digging and digging. And he finally said, you know, Stacy, I know that this is labeled as ADHD, but I really think it's anxiety. I really think that we need to address that. And, you know, it was amazing. We're like, oh my goodness. I mean, we do have signs of ADHD and we do need a little help, but the anxiety was through the roof. And once we address that, that has brought us to a really good place. Um, we're definitely making much more strides than being continuously treated for ADHD. It was just unbelievable. The difference. Yeah. Um, and I'm so grateful. And I don't, I, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about Dr. Miller, but I don't think he has any adoption training, but I think he's an amazing pediatrician. <laughs> I mean, just a good guy. Yeah. That's great. That's wonderful. Kind of um, shifting gears here. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit this after or today about um, uh, the parent. Uh, I know um, I refer to it as compassion fatigue. Um, I think a lot of um, medical firm, I don't even know if it's a medical term, but calls it blocked care that parents might be experiencing. Some of our children have, um, if they do experience ADHD or anxiety, they have behaviors that just repeat, 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 repeat. Or if you have multiple children, um, there's just some point in your life where you might be experiencing something called block care or compassion fatigue just because you're just exhausted. I, I refer to to a lot of my um, clients, I've said, you know, this could be somebody that's caring for an elderly parent. This could be somebody that's caring for a disabled child, but here we're talking about adoption, but it's a very common occurrence. How do you handle parents that you, when you walk in the door and you're like, oh, 
that poor mom or oh that poor dad how do you handle situations like that you know I this is one thing I can say that I just having kids change the way I handle that (laughs) um it's such a much better understanding of what parents are going through once you become a parent you know Mm -hmm. by no means was I the perfect parent before I had kids um but as a pediatrician I thought I had good advice and I did but not like I do now (laughs) we all learn (laughs) yeah exactly um you know compassion fatigue okay so when I think of compassion fatigue really it has two different faces right and sometimes those faces flip back and forth on a dime so compassion fatigue um is anytime when we know that we're not engaging, we're not supporting, we're not um, being there as much as we would like for that person we're caring for in this situation, our children, right? And so sometimes that can be withdraw. It can be tuning out. It can be going through the motions. It can be not connecting. It can be, you know, feeling like you're numb as you're moving through life. On the other hand, it can be the opposite. It can be where you're loud, where you're dysregulated, where you're yelling, where you're screaming, where you're um, anxious or depressed or angry and, and the, your moods are all over the place. And it can switch mm-hmm. here and there, back and forth uh, it, really fast. Um, and so, you know, recognizing that you're not quite yourself is the first step to <laughs> questioning whether or not you may have some compassion fatigue and trying to catch it when you're in that stage be, before you get into um, some of the physical things, you know, physically people who are experiencing compassion fatigue may not sleep, they may have stomach pain and headaches and different stress responses, just like we were talking about before mm-hmm. uh, with the kids coming in with their trauma responses. Um, and then unfortunately though, you know, we, some people will self-medicate with things like alcohol or, or work even. Some people with compassion fatigue at home may go become workaholics to take them out of that situation. So uh, acknowledging it, finding it, recognizing it early um, is important because I think, you know, at some point, it might not be compassion fatigue every day, but at some point, like you said, we're going to get exhausted and it's and your emotions may be high or you might just need to, you know, scroll on your phone for 10 minutes and totally tune everybody out. Um, and that's normal. It's those times that it becomes more common that it becomes abnormal that we need to think about it. Yeah. And it hits you. I mean, I, I'm going to be um, very honest. I mean, I know I have experienced this for several years and I didn't even realize it until about six months ago. Um, but, um, I mean, it's for real. And until I actually read a paper and I was like, oh my goodness, that is me. You know, yeah. Yeah. I think the thing that hit me was I have raised, you know, five kids and my, once my youngest hit her teen years, I just I didn't start shutting down. I mean, I love her with every being in my body and I would do anything for her, but I just was losing connection. And I looked at, I finally decided it's time to get a counselor. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. I have to have somebody to talk to because 
I mean, I, once again, I love my husband with every, every piece of my body. I mean, he's just amazing, but he just wasn't quite getting what I was saying. And I just looked at her and I said, I think I realized that I have this when I realized I raised four other kids and I could come up with, I was my teacher. I would come up with the most amazing love and logic responses to their behavior. And I would be so creative and people would be like, oh my gosh, where'd you come up with that? And with this one, I just didn't have anything. I'd just look at her behavior and I'd be like, I got nothing. Using <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my upper level thinking. I could not, I could not come up with ideas on how to, to, to deal with different behaviors. And they were probably some of the same behaviors that I dealt with, with my other kids. Mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, this is real. I read this in a book and you're a counselor for adoptive moms and you're going to help me get through this <laughs> and I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, on Along those lines, I mean, if you, I know you're a pediatrician, but if you see a parent that comes into you and you're just like, okay, yeah, we need to work on you too. What kind mm-hmm. of suggestions do you give to them? to to help overcome this or work through it? Oh, you know, this is, even though I am pediatrics, it comes up a lot. (laughs) It comes up a lot. Parenting is so hard. And I think that, you know, first step, parenting is hard. We need to say that out loud. We need to support that instead of, you know, trying to compete with each other or be the Pinterest mom. Let's just acknowledge that parenting is hard and that we're all there. And, you know, some days if we all just make it through alive, that's great. That's our goal. Good day. Let's move on. Tomorrow could be better. Um, So I spend a lot of time now doing that, having those discussions with families. You know, step one, you got to take care of yourself. I see this so much with new moms. They don't want to put the baby down. They don't want to, you know, leave the baby alone. They they don't want to leave the baby with somebody else, right? It, what's that saying? You can't pour from an empty cup. You got to take care of yourself. The number of new moms I have who don't sleep, don't eat, <laughs> don't do the basic functions to get through their day is is amazing it's it's high and we got to remember that's step one right we we got to take care of our body get sleep feed yourself throw in some exercise even if it's just taking a walk the other side of that is you know as you mentioned take care of your mind it's so important it is okay to take a break nobody absolutely nobody is expected to care for another human 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not doable. You got to care for yourself too. So I, I spend a lot of time when they, when, and it's almost always the moms coming in. Cause that's, you know, how we work at a pediatrician's office when they come in and they're frazzled and you can just see their drain. My first question is who do you have at home? Who's helping you out? And it's, and well, my mom said she'd come, but I don't want to leave her at home with the baby. Or my sister said, it's okay. It's okay. And we spend a lot of time talking about, I get that. I get that you're not ready to leave the baby at home. I get that you're not ready for this, that. I get that you don't want to ask for help. So many of us just don't want to ask. It's absolutely okay. So we have a lot of those conversations and we try to come up with creative ways to deal with that. So you're not ready to leave the baby at home. 
Okay, don't leave home. You stay, but you go and take a nap. Or you stay and you go in a different room and have a cup of coffee. Read a book for 10 minutes. Scroll on your phone for 10 minutes. Do whatever you want to do. Take 15 minutes, sit by yourself, and let your mom take care of a baby. She raised you. You're still alive. You're good. She can take care of your kid for 15 minutes. You know, just those things we try to work through. So you got to take care of your body. You got to take care of your mind. And then at the end, again, don't be afraid to ask for professional help. Post One thing that, you know, I had no experience with coming into adoption. Post-adoptive depression and anxiety are real, just like postpartum depression. And it is so under discussed, so under talked about. Um, it's something that really does need to be addressed and does need to be acknowledged. And this is, you know, in those early stages, certainly all the challenges with parenting, whether it's biological children or adopted children, is something that can be wearing and can be challenging. And you do need that professional help at some point. So again, don't be afraid to ask for help. It's okay. It's not a stigma. It's not um, something to be, you know, scared of or concerned about. You you got to take care of yourself first to be take to take care of somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I think part of mine came too from we adopted primarily um, very young or infants, and we have open adoptions. And so I know most of our moms or dads very personally, and I am somebody that takes things to heart. Um, and I kind of take things a little too personally sometimes, but raising their children and the responsibility of, okay, they gave me this responsibility and when they're not performing, which is terrible in my mind, but when they're not um, achieving what I thought was expected, I mean, that I think just adds another load, another layer, because you have to recognize, you know, you are raising these children and there are your children, but you're also raising them for another human being. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that adds to your stress level even more, at least it has to mine. I know some people it doesn't, but to mine, it adds to the stress level Um, because you've got their other parents you've got other grandparents and you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you know, that's always in the back of my mind. (laughs) I can appreciate that. It's a huge responsibility, right? It's the ultimate um, faith that somebody is putting in you to to raise their child. And yeah, I, sometimes that is an overwhelming thought. It is. Yeah. Uh, And and I'm sure it's a little bit different if, if you read, if you are parenting through foster care and you don't have that interaction, sure. but the, the huge difference of having a woman hand you their child mm-hmm. um, just is a whole new ball game. <laughs> I mean, it really is. <laughs> so I think yeah. that probably adds to the possibility of experiencing some compassion fatigue um, just because mm-hmm. you're carrying that load on your shoulders. Um, it's just a little bit different dynamic. I have one more question for you and call it a day. If you, um, you know, if we could do this right and we would introduce compat, you know, to a new person that's 
thinking about adopting or somebody that's going through the adoption process, if we could just introduce this idea to them, um, what do you think would be some good advice for somebody that's entering, thinking about becoming a foster parent or an adoptive mm -hmm. parent in regards to um, compassion fatigue? Yeah. Probably, so, oops, sorry. I'll probably turn around and ask you the same question about trauma too. So. Yeah. You know, from a trauma aspect, um, the, my best advice to uh, parent or people looking to foster or to adopt is always education, right? Learn as much as you can about the system, learn as much as you can about adoption, learn as much as you can from adoptees, just keep learning um, so that you understand the experiences and the challenges that can come up as, as time goes on. From a compassion fatigue standpoint, for somebody, anybody thinking about parenting, again, whether you're foster, whether you're adoptive, whether you're biological, anybody who's contemplating raising another person, having a child, <laughs> any sort, it's important to start with some self-reflection, right? Am I ready? And that's a hard question to be honest about, you know? Um, am I ready? And am I mentally ready? Am I financially ready? Am I, you know, emotionally ready? Um, how was I raised as a parent or as a child? What was, what style of parenting did my parents use? Because no matter what, you're going to slip into that at some point, whether you agree with it or not, at some point that little subconscious is going to come out and you're going to be like, that was my mom. That was my dad. And, and you need to be prepared for better or worse. We have to think about those things. Um, and, and then figure out that tribe right? Figure out those people who are going to support you because when the compassion fatigue creeps up, whether it's true compassion fatigue or a really bad day, it's going to come up at some point and you're going to need somebody to help walk you through that. And whether that's your spouse, whether that's a family member, whether that's a friend, you just need somebody to rely on and somebody who can sit there and say, Hey, you're still doing okay. It's okay. No mom is perfect. No dad is perfect. No person is perfect. And when you mess up, you're going to, you know, it's important to apologize and come back and try again the next day. But you need that support system more than anything. It's so important. Mm -hmm. I agree. And yeah, those perfect advice. It seems so simple. And yet us as humans mm -hmm. struggle to reach out for that support system. Um, and it, it, it's, um, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's embarrassing. I know it's embarrassing sometimes to ask your mama for help, but you got to do it. You got to do it to take Absolutely. care of you and take care of your baby. Yep. And by yes. baby, I mean, uh, zero through 18. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I'm not sure zero through 26. <laughs> I'm still um, calling my mom a lot older than that. So. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Okay. Well, once again, we are so grateful for spending some time with you. Um, your words are going to touch so many and it's, I mean, I sit here and listen to you speak and I'm just like, wow, that is, I pick out little nuggets all along our conversation, but um, I, I'm hopeful and grateful that we're able to share this with a, a larger audience through this podcast. We hope that we'll have some conversations with you again in the future. And um, we are, um, we're, I don't know what I was going to say, but um, <laughs> um, 
Um, if you guys need support from or have questions for Dr. Sarah, we will have her link in our link tree in the bio. And if you need support or have questions for us about our one-on-one -on -one coaching, about our membership, about our any of our classes, um, once again, click in the bio, message us, um, set up a call. We have um, free consultation calls where we can talk through your situation and we can figure out a solution for you. We, we love talking to other adoptive parents. Until then, um, we, will, we will see you later. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to the Christian Adoption Coaching Podcast. Come join us at Christian Adoption Coaching Community at www.christianadoption-coaching.com. That's christianadoption-coaching.com. And visit us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Have a blessed day.